0: All right, three, two, one. Hello, and welcome back to Users First. I'm your host, Alessio Ferracuti, UX designer and podcast host. And today I'm joined by Alan Pan, a UX director with 10 years of experience working with design agencies, startups, and enterprises. And our topic today focuses on what, what visual storytelling is and what makes it so unique and why it's a crucial element to have to your design skill set. Before we jump into the episode, a little bit about Alan, his strength, is visual storytelling again, and prototype. He has formal human-computer interaction training, and he's also now helping high school students find their dream colleges. Thank you for joining us today, Alan. Such a privilege to have you here and to be able to pick in some of your brains.
1: For sure, Alesso. Very pleasure to be here, and thank
0: you for having me. Thank you so much, thank you so much. Where is, where is it that you're located right now? i'm in new york city yeah I'm, I'm always asking because i'm always intrigued by what location everyone has anyone has picked nowadays because you can basically work anywhere that you want like we all right. have a remote job like if you wanted to you could work from uh, taiwan or uh, and get paid Probably. us money yeah
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 the flexibility well i've been here for almost 10 years so the whole professional life i've been here It's just the big city feel that attracts me and the Mm. opportunities and the people, honestly, that there's just such diverse group of people that you can always find an interesting conversation here and there. You can always find somewhere different to visit, whether it's a museum or a restaurant or a park, right? So it's that that kind of culture aspect that really makes me stay. I think just the, the excitement that you can always do something different every weekend is that's what
0: so draws true. me yeah uh, yeah that, that, that's the thing about big cities is that you have so much variety and like a different cultures so let's say on a friday night you feel like pizza like a good italian pizza you you, mm-hmm. you can get it if you know where to look at or you know on a saturday night you want some really good you know chinese noodles like with the, with the beef and the broth and and so on and you, <laughs> you can get that that's that's the, the the best thing of being in a big city i remember when i was I was living in Glasgow some time ago and it's a very small city, I think there's like 300 to 400,000 people yeah. um, and it's so hard to find that variety of food and you get frustrated after a while because you always see the same things and basically in Scotland, in the United Kingdom, you only get fish and chips, right? right. so <laughs> that's about your variety, really. If you try yeah. to get any anything else outside of fish and chips, you're probably going to have a stomach ache for three days in a row. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then you end up cooking that yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Alan, I was very intrigued by uh, what you do for the kids, um, for well, for the high school students. Uh, you know, helping them to find their their dream careers that will lead them to their dream jobs that will get them paid a lot of money. Um, and w- one of the questions I had was, uh, what made you do that? And um, and then I'll ask you the second question.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. That, I think the main reason is that picking a college and eventually career is one of the most important decisions, right? When you make in your lifetime. So I'm really passionate about the mission that EAB, the company I work for that pursues, which is make education smarter and community stronger. We really want to help the high school students to connect to their dream college, just because there's so many options out there. And it's easy to get confused or mm-hmm. get overwhelmed by them. So we do that by having a highly visual virtual tour to help them pick which school setting they want to be in. And we also have a smart college matching website that makes the decision making process easier. So it's all those things that make me excited. I have been through that struggle myself by applying for a master program in the states. Uh, well, back when I know how difficult that is to even just fill out application forms and pick is this a program the correct one before I spend say fifty thousand dollars per year in the investment, right? So it's hard to see whether that's worth it. So we're really helping make that easier for high school students and really passionate about that.
0: Right, and my sp- that that's fantastic, and that's an excellent like. Reason for getting into these is because it's such a big investment. You want to make sure that uh, you help people make the right investment if if they have to spend the kind of money, Um, especially in the U.S. because it it is an an, a a huge amount of money that they're going to be spending. Um, Lately, um, I came across something called a personality test, and basically, what this you heard of it? Okay, so basically, what for the people that don't know, a personality test is, is is um is like. It's like an online test, or it could be also like a reading test, Ask you questions about uh, how you behave in social groups or um, as a person by yourself. And based on your social skills and your uh, logic, logical skills as well, um, they assess uh, the experts, like uh, um, people that, are, that have degrees in psychology, apparently. Uh, they assess like what kind of career you should be associated with. Do you also take that kind of approach, Alan, with the students?
1: Um, not exactly, but we have something similar, for example, when you go to our college matching website, you can go through a fun exercise, a serious questions that help you determine very similarly, like what your personality would be. And we have a fun test that tells you which Tribe to belong to in Harry Potter, essentially. <laughs> so it's it's a fun thing. To, oh, you're you belong to that one, and that that tell you when, where you're just lies and what could be the potential college that fits you. But I agree with you, right? Even in work setting, knowing what your personality would be and how you will work better with people. For example, if you're introvert versus extrovert, how do you maximize your strength in your unique personality and traits? Well make you way more successful than not knowing and just trying to shoehorn the same people or different people within the same box, right? You, you have to present it that way. You have to do it a certain way. By having that flexibility and knowing who you are and how you operate just opens up the, the opportunity, even especially in this remote world where you cannot be around people in the same place. You cannot just hover over yeah. or have chit chat to smooth things out, so to speak. So that's definitely very important
0: yeah hundred percent because like once you choose a career it's it's gonna be a career 20 30 yeah. years 40 years who knows how long and you're, you're gonna be, be making money of it and you can make money of it happy or you can make money of it like very sad which one are you gonna choose and i think like we we have very successful careers and you seem like a very happy person about the job that you do and today we're gonna be talking about visual storytelling and and uh and and why you're so good at it and well that i think uh, i think it was very important that we talked about it it was a very good point this one um tell me more about visual storytelling alan like what's so special about this topic and you know what what is it and why why is it used
1: yeah for sure i think in terms of what it is it's essentially communicating with mostly visuals right i think the key word being mostly Because some people think about it as just using pictures or diagrams, but it's actually a combination of of both. I think the best analogy I can give you is the children's book. I have two kids. One is three, one is six. (laughs) If you want to read the same story, say Spider-Man to a three-year-old, there's a lot of images. There's just many one or two words or even no words to describe the whole storyline. But to use the same story to read to a six-year-old, there will be way more text, way more paragraph, but it essentially communicates the same story. The one is very visual, but one is less so. So if you can break it down by the words, the words essentially facilitate understanding, it brings clarity to things. Mm -hmm. The visuals create an experience. It makes things memorable. Um, It generates feeling to the audience. So my three-year-old might not care about what exactly happened, but she gets excited about the character, Mm -hmm. the world and whatnot that in her brain just kind of paint the picture very clearly. But for my six-year-old, she might want to know more about the plot, what happened and all the details. So it's, it's that spectrum and knowing from, you know, what you want to bring clarity or understanding to the memory, right? It's a spectrum. So it's very interesting. That's why I'm very into that. And I'm by no means a trend expert in visual storytelling by any way. Hmm. I'm into it because I'm not a native speaker. I came from Taiwan. I came to the States 10 years ago. Early in my career, because English is not my first language, my brain was not fast enough for me to chime into discussions or in meetings, right? And I find myself falling back to communicating with visuals, diagrams, right? And those artifacts really help me summarize key points into simplify complex problems that I was helping my clients solve. So one of my colleagues used to joke that Alan doesn't talk much, but when he talks, he makes things a lot more clear. So that that's something I am personally pretty proud of that it used to be a disadvantage for me, but now I turn that into a strength, right? So now I use that every day into my leadership role. I feel like there is a big missed opportunity to influence in that area. A lot of the decks nowadays are very information dense, right? A lot of text. It might be clear, but it's not exciting, right? If you want to sell a new initiative to executives, it could be very clear, but after a meeting, they forget everything, right? So you might as well have something to be way more impactful by having some visuals to tell a story in that way.
0: Right, right and that reminds me you know that reminds me of um, cognitive overload that is one of the yeah. that is one of the heuristics of user experience is that if uh, if you read too many things and and especially the like they're not structured they're not categorized you will get an overload and eventually you will forget whatever you've read and that's why people are not getting influenced in these meetings because they're getting a, sh- a shit ton of things in their head and they can't they, they can't understand like what's going on and they get out of the meeting and what like what did what was really the meeting about uh there wasn't there wasn't really uh there wasn't really a good structure but basically what you're saying is um whatever you do you go prepared uh you know your goals for the meeting or for the illustrations and you try to make it as uh iconic and and uh and clear and structured as much as you can and you use the visuals to do that um and the words to support it for sure Beautiful. Um. What's uh, What's some, on... yeah, I guess I was gonna ask you like some tips for, for people that want to do better visual storytelling. <laughs> but I guess the answer, I kind of already know, it's like <laughs> useless words. But what, what would you say to people that want to improve their, their visual storytelling?
1: Yeah, I would say three things we need to pay attention to in that regard. The first mm-hmm. one, Alessio, I think you touched on that already, which is knowing the audience, right? You want to think about not only what they need to know but what you want to make them feel for example in the context of designer portfolio right what to include in your portfolio you could think oh maybe i should include a feature shot of the product you designed for versus the whole flow some people i mentor they struggle with that right should i be include the whole thing just 10 screens or one ask yourself a question do you want the audience to feel impressed by the screen or polish, you, you can, and if that's the case, maybe include one hero shot, right? If the purpose is for them to understand how you design a whole experience, the whole flow of the details, then you might want to include the 10 screen. So again, going back to knowing your audience, how do you want them to feel? Besides, what do they want to know will help you make that decision? And secondly, you want to strike a balance between what is best described versus what is best shown, right? For example, what is best described is something like a definition, an opinion, or a context or background, right? Going back to the portfolio um, example, it might be, what is this project about? What is the context? What's your role in it? That is you that you, where you need clarity, essentially. But what's better shown is, for example, relationship between different things, a sequence, a process, that's something that there's an opportunity for you to visualize, so that it's easier to scan when you're scrolling through the portfolio. Mm. And obviously something like prototype is easier to show than describing or describe a screen or whatnot, be better to show that, right? And not to mention that text can actually be visualized too. But right? when it comes to numbers or data, you can visualize the numbers in different ways to tell a story, give it give a it different way, different font, a different style. So there's there's a possibility there as well. And the last one is about, you also touch points on that, also simplifying, right? It's very easy to be complex, but it's mm-hmm. very hard to be simple, right? Using visuals already force you to be simple, but it's not an excuse to in- include, say, 50 photos uh, on the website. You have to be <laughs> intentional about which element to keep and their purpose. Know which one is to affect the mood, right, versus conveying information. And knowing the priority for each element that will allow you to cut down, read again and cut again, so that you you get to the gist of the whole thing. And going back to the point we we're early, making earlier, the more simple and succinct you can be, the more successful you will be in meetings eventually, because people will remember your key point as opposed to being bombarded by the amount of information you have throwing at them.
0: Right. I, I love your point. So basically, you're saying the more you practice. the the simplicity of design you'll also basically see reflect in your talks as well because the the, the less words you use in your designs and your portfolio and everything then you'll also start talking like that because there is no really need to say anything else.
1: That's right. It's also about the best way to know about topics is to teach, right? you, You study, you know a topic, but it's only until you want to teach to someone else You internalize what you learn and you think about how to communicate that thing and teach other people the same thing. And that's such a satisfying process by just knowing and simplifying so that people get it. I think a lot of the professors that used to um, be in my college, some of them are really good at what they do in terms of doing research, but they're not that great in teaching because they Know about the topic they cannot simplify it enough so that other people get it but i think the best right. ones are the ones that can use analogies or use examples to give you something very simple to explain something very complex so that's also what where i got the visual story p- telling because i know it's very hard to make that happen and you'll be very powerful when you have something mm-hmm. that did can you did, really did you visual. did you feel
0: like um before before you became a ux designer uh, did you already have some background in, the, in storytelling or, or, or you were just good in visuals or you, you already had like some background in storytelling and you had a background in visual and you started to learn how to merge them together?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I would, I would not say I have a background in that. My background was actually in electrical engineering in college, so wow. it's a very different field. So I was in the very left brain heavy field where it's all about understanding the circuits yeah. and de- designing the boards, right? Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because in all the textbooks I used to study, it's very hard to read the text and understand the meaning. But whenever I seen a diagram, it just summarizes the, t- the last two pages really well. And that's where I picked up the first clue of how powerful a diagram and image can be. Mm-hmm. And in terms, of, in terms of encoding the amount of things and making a very complex theory simple, right? That's that's a further thing. But mm-hmm. I think the rest is I will attribute to my family. I grew up in a design family where my dad is an architect. My uncle is a photographer. So I grew up in that artistic environment where I'm surrounded by architect, architecture books and good environments, too. So that, Stimulates my brain in terms of how to perceive something that is beautiful and well designs versus not
0: oh that's excellent I think you're very lucky that you are surrounded uh in such a creative environment um myself every time that i go um like in very uh, green spaces like museums or uh i go in parks or even this the the subway uh there is a subway in the u k where I usually go to that is like super colorful and you have like this beautiful uh, roof glass um, with lots of light that goes through it just boosts my creativity every single time, and it makes yeah. my mood my mood happier. And every time I'm surrounded by all of those things, I feel like I'm more creative. It's uh, I can't explain it, but if I'm surrounded by like plain wood around my house, I feel less creative, and my designs are gonna be are gonna be affected by that. Um, do yeah, you, do, do, do you relate to says- that?
1: Yeah, there's a scientific theory behind it, um, which is, if you're in a very positive and happy mood, it broadens your focus and it allows you to be creative and your mind will go to different things outside of your immediate focus. But when you are stressed, if you're anxious, your mind tends to be focused on the immediate things and forget about the surrounding. Right, it's because of your all human. Right, you want to be pay attention to potential danger that may come at you. So that's the case. So the more relaxed you can be, the more better off when you're doing creativity or you're doing every creative exercises, doing your work.
0: Interesting. I actually didn't know that. And what 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 do you do um, to to relax yourself in your in your life? Because New York is a highly stressful environment. Like. As soon as, you, as soon as you you get down of your building, uh, you get out of your building. There is probably like people in suits running, taking the subway, like walking up yeah. on each other.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. I do listen to a lot of music that help me relax. I also play piano too, so I think that playing instruments really help me relax in that way. I also cook. I love cooking different cuisines too. So just tasting different things and doing that experiment help stimulate myself. I'm one of the person who cannot eat the same thing for two meals, <laughs> so if I have to, <laughs> I have to eat something, different. I cannot go to the same restaurant, so. Of course, that's great. Yeah.
0: Who, who, who does? Like, nobody wants to eat the same thing, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I
1: know a, a few folks who would go to the same restaurant for lunch, for example. Oh, day. no, that's, yeah.
0: no, that's, uh, definitely wouldn't do that, not even if I was <laughs> forever. Yeah, hell no. There was, uh, there was some leftover in the fridge that, that I made uh, yesterday, and. I'm supposed to be eating it like um today and i said like hell no i'm not eating it today <laughs> so <laughs> now it's gonna be in the fridge for another three four days probably gonna go bad and i don't know what's gonna happen to it uh right. like going back to the visual storytelling so again like having a creative i think it was uh it was very important that we talked, uh, talked about this because having um having a uh, being surrounded by a creative environment is crucial to your creativity this is all it right Uh, The the more happier, the happier you are, the better visual storyteller you are and the better um, confident, uh, influential person you can be meetings when speaking to stakeholders and presenting designs. Right. So it's all related. Um, How do you, uh, you know, like this is a topic that is coming up a lot lately about virtual reality and visual storytelling and how they relate to each other. Um, Can you get us through some of their close relationship and shift mindset that there is in between the two?
1: Yeah, for sure. I got the opportunity to work in VR for three years early in my career. And I would say VR just takes visual storytelling to a whole new level, right? I, I would say it's the only medium that messes with your brain. For example, if you watch a skydiving video on your computer or your phone, you might think, oh, it's cool, It's I want to try it one day. But if you do the same experience in VR, you'll be screaming, you'll want to take the headset out, you will fall from your chair because you, you, your brain feels like you're there already, right? So that that's why when your whole body feels it, it triggers that deeper sense of memory, the feeling, right? Another example is my company used to design for a experience for Syrian refugees or or shadow experience that communicate the living environment or whatnot to other people. And it generates much more deeper empathy when you can see their living environment to feel like you live there um, compared to just watching a video of documentary on Mm. your laptop, right? So that's one thing that I think is very different that just takes that to a whole new level by eliciting your emotion and feelings that way. In terms of the mindset for VR, you're always designing for an experience, right? For example, on the desktop, we can be designing for, say, a banking app that is just transactional. But for VR, since you are recreating a world um, that the user can be teleported into, they're always a world regardless of what you're doing. So you have to make a task or a flow make sense in real world context, right? For example, if you want to change the lighting in a room, As opposed to going to a menu and select light on and off, you might be just going there and switching that light on and off physically in VR, right? So naturally, you use less text. You use other cues like lighting, audio cues, or even movement. But again, again, our eyes are always attracted to something that moves. So using that in VR is something interesting that you can play around with for designers that in 2D, we don't play with that a lot. We can have some animations and stuff to communicate movement, but not nearly as much in VR, right? Another good example is onboarding. Uh, if you, I'm, I'm sure, if you own an Oculus headset, but the first time I open Oculus headset, the onboarding uh, experience, yeah, the onboarding experience but, is. But you're
0: getting me curious, though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I highly, I highly recommend uh, getting one. So. Usually when we talk about onboarding, you'll feel like it's a boring thing. In 2D, it's basically coach marks explaining new features whatnot. But for Oculus, the un- onboarding experience is in a spaceship where you learn Whoa. to use the controller and grab different things. You shoot a gun to learn how to use the control of the buttons. You grab a cassette to put into the recorder to play something. So they basically using, again, going back to my point earlier, real life experiences to teach the user and create that experience versus using text or information essentially. So the mindset shift here is really from thinking about how how you explain a layout thing to the user to how do you engage them, what the experience should be, and how do you mimic that real life in VR. Mm. So it's a very different uh, constraints or factors you're designing compared to just uh, the other devices like your phones or your laptop.
0: Is it a lot different from, from the, uh, visual storytelling that you would perceive in a web browser or in a presentation and what are, what are the learnings and challenges of this visual storytelling in VR?
1: Yeah. in, In terms of the learnings and challenges, I think the biggest challenge for designing for VR is it takes a lot longer to build the experience compared to 2D. Right, you'll be designing the environment. You want to design three D objects, so yeah, it just takes a long longer and takes a unique specialist to design for three D renderings and stuff. And there's also audio you have to consider and whatnot because mm. every wall there's audio. It's very weird to go to the world where it's silent, right? So you have to t- account for that additional sense of the experience. And the controls may not be intuitive to most people until there's a convention right imagine many years ago mm. for i when the iphone first came out they have to teach the user what is a swipe what is a double tap right but right now who does that everyone yeah. knows how to use that right i remember
0: yeah. those days yeah every time i was getting a new phone being on board you know like five minutes about like swipe right swipe left I'm like god damn it i've been doing it for five years already i know how it works
1: Exactly. Yeah. But now we're going uh, to that point again in VR where there's no convention. So a lot of that, you have to teach the user how to use it until they can be comfortable with your experience. Of course, but yeah. when you when we become more and more mature, then that might be become very intuitive after the fact. But there's still a challenge there. But I think one learning that I have is VR experience is actually way more inclusive than others, just because it uses less text, right? You, you don't require, for example, English. Say if I don't understand English, I might not be able to use a website that is designed in English. But in VR, things things are more experiential, so to speak. Mm. You can pick up things, you can just get into that right away, as opposed to having to know the language. So in a way, it's more inclusive, it invites people in to experience things versus keeping them out just because there's a language barrier. So that's something that I like a lot oh. for designing ah, VR. Absolutely,
0: very yeah. important, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's part of uh, inclusivity and accessibility, just having, um, having um, a global type of language that, uh, that everybody can understand despite the language, despite uh, the, the color blindness that they have or whatever other issues. Yeah. Um I was wondering uh, I want to touch base on a, a couple of more topics uh before we wrap up for the podcast. Um what what is emotional design you mentioned what well, we were talking earlier uh, last week when we when we met I think it was a couple of weeks ago now. Um yeah. v- before even Easter we met and you know we touched base on emotional design and you mentioned that is v- a crucial point of of uh, visual storytelling. Uh would would you, would you like this would you, would you like to give a quick round on that?
1: For sure. Yeah, when, you, when we think about UX, um, people tend to think about usability, right? And that has been a focus for at least the beginning of the UX industry. But as the product become more and more mature, only having your product to be user-friendly or usable is not enough anymore, right? We think about not only how a product functions, but also how it feels using it. Right, the product that makes people feel good now has a competitive edge over the other product out there, right? So what—that's where emotional design really comes in. Uh, if you want to learn more about this, th- there's a book written by Don Norman that's called Emotional Design, that has fantastic rundown about this topic. But I, I'm gonna share two ideas that will get you interested in this topic. The first one is when we think about decision making we always think about the rational part of the, the brain, right? You want to mm-hmm. rationalize the decision you're making and eventually make a decision. But it's actually the emotional part of the brain plays a big part in that equation. It essentially help you narrow down your choice before your logical part of the brain come in and analyze it even further. Like for example, when you go to a supermarket in the US, there's a lot of options, right? If you want to buy a can of corn, there's just 20 options out there. So your emotional brain will basically analyze all the options out there, maybe the well-designed, packaged cans of corns will get picked by you, and then you analyze by the price and other factors after that kicks in, right? So it's it's part of the equation. It helps you narrow down the options pretty quickly. Yeah, and then the second point I wanted to highlight is better visual design actually makes the product perceived to be easier to use right that's another study that's referenced in this book by Don A- Norman, and better that... quality yeah yeah they, they test two atm prototypes with users with exactly the same functionality exactly the same button placement but there's one with way better visual design and the users um, claim that the one with better visual design is easier to use by overwhelming <laughs> amount, right? Yeah. But technically, they should be the same in terms of usability because the flows and one is the same, okay. but the one that's designed better is per- perceived, again, perceived to be better, easier to use. So that's very important. And I hope more companies see this because whenever they're cutting cost, right, visual design it tends to be the first one because it's harder to mm-hmm. justify the ROI or that extra mile that you want to take. People used to refer that to, the cherry on top, right? You, you have the cake, you have the cherry on top, but we can argue that cherry now is a core part of the cake (laughs) without a cherry. The the whole cake eating experience is not the same,
0: right? Of course. Yeah. You can have the best product in the world, but if it's unusable um, for whatever reason, then it's not going to work out. Or there is even cases where like the usability of, of a product of, of like a web service or a website or a video game or whatever. It's like, the usability of it, is, it it's it, it's okay. It's like the you the user experience uh, functionality of it it, it, it works, you know, like it follows heuristics and whatever, but then like the UI of it is not so great. And still people are gonna, just because it's good in UX, it doesn't mean that the people are gonna be thinking about UX. People don't know how UX work and they're gonna be thinking about, oh, the, the visuals of these websites are shit. So the product also must, <laughs> be, must be like <laughs> not good at all. And that's how people think, you know, they get into a website after like less than a second. I think after like 0.2 seconds, people immediately have uh, prejudice about what the product uh, and services yep. are going to be like, right? So, oh, boom, I get to, the, to this website. Uh, is it, does it look nice? Does it look bad? How's the product going to be, right? People think, think about this right away. And so like, yeah, uh, yeah so emotional intelligence, um, a, a product that feels good, has definitely an edge on other, pro- on other, other products. Uh, coding, uh Don Norman from the book of um, Emotional Intelligence, and we're gonna we're gonna put a link uh, to the book in the description of the podcast episode. And uh, be- before we go, Alan, one last question for you. Um, you also mentioned to me uh, some time ago about designing um, in conversations and the influence to. Inf- to influence people but I guess we talked about that um, at the beginning of the podcast but is there anything else that you want that you want to talk about maybe some uh, useful things that, that really helped you as a director of user experience uh, whenever you are in a position to be influencing others
1: yeah for sure I, I found that to be very useful when I'm selling an idea or if I need to explain something quickly, right? I think two ways that meetings fall usually is when there's too much info presented and people forget about what was said. I think you mentioned that uh, spot on earlier. One example I can give is when I was working with uh, the CEO from my previous company, we were working on envisioning the future of our platform and it was such a complex topic that's hard to explain. So I designed Mm. a diagram in a meeting that presented to him He told me that he loved the diagram so much that he took the diagram to all the meetings that he went to (laughs) for the following two months and that was an artifact that is very easy for for him to explain to any stakeholder what does the future mean by just using that diagram right so i think that's one example i can give is if you simplify things enough if you know what you want to communicate communicate and if you can pack that in a one or two powerful visual you'll get you very far right and if if that's very simple to digest um, people will remember it people will socialize it even when you are not there so it's a time well spent to simplify and think about what you want to communicate in that format versus writing a 10 page report to the higher up like hey this is my proposal like think about from that perspective
0: right is there any last advice that you want to give to people that want to improve their visual storytelling skills before we go
1: yeah, I think it comes down to be more intentional, right? And going back to knowing what you want the audience to feel and what you want, whether it's bring clarity or being feeling and getting people engaged, right? And once you're clear on the purpose, it's easier for you to choose the best way, whether it's purely visual or some text to help you explain something better and tr- try it out and test you you probably won't get it in one shot and to a point it's easier to say than just having a diagram but just even that one diagram can take you the whole week to produce right but it it doesn't really discount the fact that maybe after that week the impact of diagram can last for the next five months right so it's, it's worth it's worth it it's hard to measure the roi but I would just encourage you to think about what the other ways you can explain something visually by just only trying one medium, which is mostly using tech.
0: Look, Alan, uh, such a pleasure to have you here again. uh, This was Alan Pan, uh, the uh, User Experience Director with 10 years of experience in uh, startups, agencies, and enterprises. Such a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for doing this. Look, if people wanted to contact you and get in touch with you and ask you questions, where would be the best place to be? Uh, ask anything.
1: Yeah, well feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. My handle is Alan UX. Um, you can email me too. I also do mentor sessions on ATP List. So if you want to chat more, feel free to book a session with me. I'm always happy to connect with designers in the industry.
0: Wonderful. And thanks for listening to Users First. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on the Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to. And again, if you want to support some of our streaming expenses, you can go on our website, usersfirstbootcamps.com. You can buy me a cup of coffee. And if you're interested in getting a job because you have done your bootcamp or uh, you just finished one of your courses and now you're looking um, to, to, to make this uh, big step in your career, uh, feel free to book a mentorship with me and I'll help you out in the interview process. Thank you so much. Have a good day.